scripture can be found on the inside of the bulletin. Let's go to Luke 21, 1 through 4. Luke 21, 1 through 4. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. The word of the Lord. You know, whenever you hear this particular passage, and probably you've already thought about it, this is going to be a sermon on giving, right? It's a classic giving passage um, whenever you see this. In fact, as I was looking through commentaries, commentary after commentary talked about this being about giving, And so you perhaps have braced yourself for the sermon that is coming on giving. I want to suggest to you that this sermon is not about giving at all. Not in the way that you think it is. See, the sermon title or the theme could be something on this based on what we see from the scripture. That the true measure of a gift is not the amount of it, but how much it hurts. That might be a point that you've heard in a sermon. Or... That the money is not as important. What is most important is the heart in your giving. I want to suggest to you that's not the point of this sermon either or the point of this text or the other five or six different points that possibly could be made uh, if one was giving a sermon on giving based on this text. Something's not right, however, as we look at this passage and we conclude that this passage is really about financial giving. See, as you look at the passage, you realize that the woman is neither commended for her giving, nor are the other people condemned for their lack of giving or lack of enough giving. It's frankly rather flat. It's a factual statement. And so you're forced to almost create an application if you're looking at it simply based on the text. But as you know, we don't simply look at text we look at context. Where is this passage in relation to the body of text around it? What has just been said? What is going to be said? Because this is part of the flow of what Jesus is communicating, what the author is intending to communicate. We need to look at the whole story or we're going to be in danger in putting meaning into a text that is not there at all. So let's look a little bit at the context to get the true sense of what is going on. Remember last week, uh, we talked about Jesus uh, and he finishes um, his uh, uh, text before with this comment in uh, uh, Luke 20, 46. Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplace and to have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at the banquets. And then it transitions into this text. But if we were to read Matthew, which is a parallel uh, before the text that I'm reading, Jesus actually goes into a full chapter in condemnation of the Pharisees. I mean, it's some of the starkest language that Jesus gives of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Here's some things that Jesus says in addition. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, 
You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. He also says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You snakes, you brood of vipers. Have you ever been called a snake or a brood of vipers, by the way? I don't think it feels very good, okay? How will you escape being condemned to hell? Jesus is letting out, uh, forth with both barrels, speaking directly to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And then he stops. And as verse uh, 1 says here, and then he looked up. See, Jesus has just finished this diatribe against these people and then he looks up. And what does he see? Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts in the temple treasury. Okay, Jesus is in the court of the women. If you remember, there's a series of courts in the temple and the court of the women is where Jesus is teaching because men and women can be there. And in the court of the women is the temple treasury. Okay, remember, it's Passover. It's time to come and give an offering. And in the temple treasury, there are these 13 big, big boxes. And, and they look like, um, you know, the shofar. The, the, they're actually called trumpets because they have a mouth, uh, a, a gold mouth that looks like a trumpet. And each of these boxes have different labels to them. Some say a burnt offering, thank offering, free will offering. There are a variety of these different things and these are where people are coming and they're giving their offerings. They're putting their money into these particular boxes. This setup, by the way, has been done by the priests. It's not in, not in the Bible. This isn't part of Deuteronomy, how you're supposed to, or Exodus, uh, Leviticus, how you're supposed to set up the temple. This has been set up by the priests. And right away, we should see a problem with this, don't we? Because this is a, public setting where everybody can see your giving but did Jesus not say earlier in the gospel so when you give to the needy do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men but rather let your giving be in secret that your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you so literally it's true that some people when they would be giving there would be a trumpet possession, uh, procession for the rich who would come with their chest to dump the money into the particular trumpet. It's become a show. It's become a farce. And the priests have set it up this way because it's a great opportunity for those who want to be acknowledged, the people that give the majority of the money to get their street cred, if you will, as religious people. So Jesus looks up and he sees people giving and he also saw a poor widow putting in two very small copper coins. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all the others because she put in all that she had to give. What do we know about this widow? She's poor, okay? She can't hide that fact. That means her clothes are shabby. Jesus knows everyone. He knows their hearts, but you can't miss it looking at this woman. Particularly, it says that Jesus saw the rich who are giving out of their means. So they're giving liberally. 
You know, you're hearing the coins fall through the system, right? But this little woman, this old woman, only puts in two coins. Two, lepton is the word. And I know we have many particle physicists among us. And you know what a lepton is. You know, you got the protons and the nucleus and then you have all the subatomic particles that are called leptons. Okay, a lepton is a quarter of a cent. So she's putting in half of a cent. We used to have half pennies, didn't we? We got rid of them because they're not... They're so small, it's not an effective means of currency. But this is all that this woman has left. This is it. This is her life savings. This is what she's going to eat with. Jesus is very clear. It's all that she has to live on. So she's going to put in her two lepton. She's going to go home and she's going to die. Because she has nothing. And we have to ask ourselves the question... Why is she doing this? There is nowhere in the Bible that commands a woman who has, this is it, to go and give what you have left. In fact, it's bad stewardship, isn't it? Keep that. Use it to help feed yourself. Don't go ahead and give and give until you have nothing left because somebody's going to have to care for you. Nowhere does the Bible say that. So where is this coming from that is driving this woman to come and though she has only these two things left to put them in one of these trumpets? Here's the context, isn't it? Because right before the last sentence, verse before this passage starts, it says, beware the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They devour widows' homes and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. See, the message that the priests and that this corrupt system is giving is that give all and you will be blessed. We've heard that message before, haven't we? You ever turn on the TV? It's a classic televangelist message. Now, I'm not saying all televangelists are corrupt, but that we've certainly had our fair share of them, haven't we? See, the truth of the matter is that the priests believe that widows were cursed by God. That their, their uh, husbands had been taken from them. They were, they were cursed. They did not have a high regard for them. And so ultimately, this woman, by the way, the Old Testament is filled with admonitions to care for widows and care for the poor. It's part and parcel of what it means to be Jewish, to be a follower of God, is to care for those who have nothing. But because of the system that's been set up and the persuasive argument, this woman has been led to believe, this is my shot. If I give all that I have, that's how I will be blessed. She's giving out of desperation. She's not giving out of provision or out of joy. And so what Jesus is really saying is after getting up and denouncing the Pharisees is illustrating by looking at what is happening here that this is exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus is angry. Jesus is upset. In fact, the next passage, Jesus communicates, I tell you the truth, not one of the stones of this place is going to be on top of each other. It's all going to be torn down. 
because this is utterly corrupt. What it is doing to people is utterly corrupt. You know, things haven't changed, have they? When you think about how the Reformation got started with Martin Luther and those guys, they were building what? St. Peter's Basilica in Italy. Have you ever seen the place? It's magnificent. It was going to cost a lot to raise it, right? And so a system of indulgences was put out. Oh, on paper it looked pretty good. But the sales guys who went out, you know, when a coin into the coffer clinks, you know, a soul from purgatory springs. That was bad rhyming, but, you know, it was German. So the point was that the game, the fix is in. Give and give and give away and you will be blessed. But religion that's pure and faultless is to care for orphans and widows. And Christ is looking at this system. This is really the last teaching that Jesus is going to give. Jesus says, no more. I'm not talking to you anymore. He's going to the cross. He's going to accomplish and going to destroy this corrupt system because Jesus came to bring life. And what these people are ultimately doing is bringing death. Jesus has come to bring liberation and what they are bringing is a prison. What if I was to told you there, that there was a $600 million tax in Virginia that you did not know about that was levied upon the poor, that they pay the most? You'd probably say that isn't very fair. But that's exactly what the lottery is. It's a nine-figure tax on the desperation of the least fortunate. It's pretty strong words, Carlos. Back them up. Okay, I will. Okay, the lottery is a means of the state government to trick citizens into giving money in exchange for nothing by preying on human greed. It's very clever, actually. It's a great way to raise revenue without the unpopular process of raising taxes. But you might say to me, well, it's, it's for a good cause. It's for education. The truth of the matter is the state doesn't put any money into it. 1% win prizes based on the other 99% who are funding it. See, its very existence depends upon the losers funneling money into it to keep the game going. Well, you may play the lottery every now and then and you may say to me, well, it's just a game. It's fun. Well, if you're making under a certain amount of money, it's not fun. They've even surveyed this. 25% uh, uh, of people under 30K, when you ask them, they say, well, I'm not buying it for fun. It's not a game. Why do they play then? See, it's not that poor people don't understand that the lottery has a near zero chance of making them drastically wealthy. It's that they think that everything else actually has an actual zero chance. And so the lottery is not just preying on people's dreams, it's preying on poor people's desperate dreams. Religion can do that, can it? Corrupt religion takes life. And that's what's going on in this system. It looks shiny, it looks beautiful, and it looks noble, but it's a lie. 
And this woman who's bought into it, the woman whose house is literally being devoured by these empty promises, she's the one who is getting hurt. You know, you ever ask yourself the question, why aren't more people filling this place? Why isn't, I mean, the message of Jesus Christ? I think perhaps the reason is, perhaps maybe they sat in a pew before and they heard a message that looks a little bit more like this one here. Give and give and give away. And that's how you'll find life. They tried religion once before. They're not going to do it again. So when you try to ask your friends to come, there's a bad taste in their mouth, if you will, for the Christianity that was sold to them, which maybe wasn't the true Christianity at all. Because religion kills. Christ gives life. Maybe you've been burned before. You've made it back into the place. But there's a hesitation, if you will, to believe the promises of God, to trust Christ. Now, I've been down that road before. I want you to understand that Jesus is not religion. Because whenever man is at the center, there's always corruption. This passage is serving to prove that Jesus has come to destroy counterfeit religion. To replace it with the real thing. Well, the truth of the matter is, we can point our finger at religion, but the problem's bigger than false religion, isn't it? Our whole world is like this. Where do we get this term, survival of the fittest, anyways? Right? Darwin, 1846, where he discovered or put forth the theory of natural selection that the strong prey upon the weak. It is the natural order of things and the fittest survive. It's what's taught in our schools from the minute you enter in again and again and again. Oh sure, there's a thin veneer that's put on the top of it, right? Be moral and be good. Don't do drugs. Love people. But beneath it is the core. Survival of the fittest. This is what births a, a soulless capitalism. Notice, not a capitalism, but a soulless capitalism. Where ultimately people see life and humanity as a zero-sum game. There can be only one. It's easy for us to point fingers at the Pharisees or at the world order. But perhaps we should look at our own heart. Do we see life as a zero-sum game? Is there a thin veneer in our heart? But at the end of the day, I'm looking out for number one. If it's between you and me, I'm going to choose me. Because there's only one that can survive. We are also infected with this disease if we're honest and open. Where did this come from? Why is our world like this? It started in the garden, didn't it? Before that serpent came along. Never did anyone think about themselves to the exclusion of somebody else. But that ancient enemy of ours, Satan, who masquerades as an angel of light, who, though he had an exalted position, it wasn't enough. 
I have to be first. The Bible tells us that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And it's the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. As the king, so the kingdom. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The God of this age, the prince of the air. He tricks us. He makes us think that we're being smart, we're being wise, we're being careful. When in reality, we're being cunning. For did not God say to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself? Jesus has come not just to give us some words of how to change our behavior. He's come to destroy this very system. The reason the Son of God appeared, says the Bible, was to destroy the works of the devil. And so the reason that Jesus is so angry right now is because the reason he raised up Israel, the reason he gave the word of God in the Old Testament was to manifest the nature of God. To show that God is loving and gracious, slow to anger and rich in love. His goodness to all, having compassion on all that he has made. And these chief priests who are wearing the beautiful white flowing robes are snakes and broods of vipers. Jesus said that I am the good shepherd. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. And so how is Jesus going to destroy this system? He's going to the cross. The day is Wednesday. In two days, he will, be suffer, he will suffer and he will die. I think I have a picture here. I don't know if uh, you have it and can call it up. This is a picture of Lady Justice. I don't know if you've ever seen her before. She adorns just about every courthouse in America. Go ahead and go to the next screen. Lady Justice, there are actually three different figures of Lady Justice uh, in the Supreme Court alone. And Lady Justice uh, has several different uh, things that she is um, wearing to illustrate who she is. The first is Lady Justice is blindfolded because she is impartial. She does not judge based on favoritism. She does not tip the scales based on how much wealth you have or your appearance. She's impartial. And then she holds the scales of justice as she weighs impartially the, the truth, the, the charges against and the charges for, the prosecution and the defense. And Lady Justice then also holds the sword. And the sword is below the scales for justice determines punishment. The sword that ultimately meets out punishment for those who the scales are weighed and found wanting. See, the reality of our world is that the scales have been weighed against humanity and we have been found wanting. Did you know that you also have a scale? Each of us has our own scale before God. And it has been weighed. And based on our merits, it has been found wanting. If Christ is to fix the problem of our human hearts, He must balance the scales. But how? 
he must do the exact opposite of that which has been done. He must live a righteous life or his scales will be found wanting. The sword will come down upon him. But after living a righteous life, the life that no one else could live, he must give a volitional gift, a gift of virtue by doing the exact opposite of what the world does to one another, by doing the exact opposite of what we do to one another. He must willingly allow himself to be wronged. He must willingly choose to be last instead of first. He must come and serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is done talking in the temple. And so he goes to act. But the beauty of grace is this. That Jesus does not simply rebalance the scales, putting enough virtue and gift of love so that they're balanced again. But in the exact antithesis of evil, he brings the full merit of his righteousness to our account. So the scales are balanced in the exact opposite Jesus did not come to simply give us a sentence of not guilty. He came to give us a sentence of righteous. He did not simply come to give us a sentence of you can go free. He came to give us a sentence of you are a son of the living God. Jesus comes to give his gift in the temple too, doesn't he? All that he has to live on. Not out of desperation. Not because he's been tricked. The trumpets should be sounding as the Son of God comes to bring the most precious gift. The life of the righteous King. And apply it to every account of those who believe in him and call in his name. See, we think that Jesus is just like everyone else. Jesus is nothing like everybody else. So look to your scale. Gosh, I'm not worthy. You're not. I'm such a bad person. Surely he'll only give me a little grace. He won't. It's all or nothing with him. I can't believe that because my old church, they taught me something different. Or I've been burned so much by people who play this shell game like you're talking with, Carlos. My ex-husband, my business partners, my friends. Now, you can't get something for nothing. You're exactly right. Because this isn't Nothing. It's the life of God who comes and loves and gives and gives. But people just don't do that. But one does. And so you know what he wants from you today? Believe. Believe in what he came to do. Believe in his love, his righteousness, his gift. Dare to believe when everything else tells you different.
See, at the end of the day, we as a church are a community of the forgiven. If you are a Christian, if you've received this grace, and each of us has a story. Did you ever watch that show Lost? Anyone watch, remember that show? Lost where they're all on this island, they're trying to get off the island, they can't get off the island. Well, they're constantly having these flashbacks, right? And they're showing the life of each of the individual people and ultimately illustrating the corruption and theft and greed and murder of each one of those people and illustrating that this lost is kind of like an island, a purgatory where they've been sentenced. Each one of us has a flashback and a story if we're willing to go there. But every single one of us, if you're a Christian, has another story. A story of a savior. A story of a rescuer. A story of one who came into my world and was the exact opposite of the world to me and the exact opposite of me to the world. See, is this really the church or is it the temple? Are we kind of the temple and just sort of fast forward the thing? I mean, we don't have the trumpets, but we got the basket. Or is what we have to offer the grace of God? The reality is God is calling to us as a community of the forgiven to take up the standard that those priests put down all that time ago. That we are God's ambassadors. All of this is from God who reconciled us to God and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. And so he makes us ambassadors as though we were preaching Christ's appeal through us, imploring people on God's behalf to be reconciled to God. The reality is if you're a Christian and you're trying to live out your walk of faith, people know that's your story. You're the only Bible they may be reading right now. I would never go to church when I was 17 years old, okay? I wouldn't. It wasn't part of my family. I wasn't going to set foot there. But thank goodness for those people that entered into my life. And so you are the Bible they're reading. You are Lady Justice to them. That's why nobody wants me at a cocktail party, by the way. Right? Because what they think is that I'm holding the scales in front of them, saying, take a look. I've got my sword right here. Right? But are we showing to them the letter of the law that kills or the demonstration of Christ that saves? Are we showing them the justice that is to come upon them or the grace that is available to them? I can teach you all sorts of apologetics and how to tell the truth of Christianity and that it's a more sound philosophical system than whatever it is that they're following. But at the end of the day, it's your love and sacrifice and grace upon them that will speak volumes about who Christ is. How do you do that? 
When they're hurting, you listen. Meet them where they're at, wherever they're at. Come alongside them. Walk with them. Be willing to be how Jesus was to us. Willing to give away his life. That we might have life. It's a beautiful picture of God renewing things. I once was lost and now was found. I was blind, but now I see. We sing the song. I don't know where you're at as you walk into this place. I don't know if you've got your guard up, your sword. I'm going to listen, but only let it go so far. Hear this. Jesus Christ is not false religion. Jesus Christ is not a system. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But he has come that we might have life and have it to the full. Receive his gift. Give him your scales. Accept your inheritance. And live it out in full view of the world that cannot understand why one would give away their life in this zero-sum game. You are the light of the world. The city is in darkness. It needs light. By God's grace, let us shine together and let the world see that Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Let's pray. God, thank you that you cared enough and the sword did not fall on us though our scales were weighed and the balance was wanting. Jesus, thank you that you came to bring your very life not simply to get us out of jail but to bring us to the throne. Lord, let us not lose sight of the height from which we've fallen and the heights to which we've attained through your grace and mercy. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.